Let's take a moment to reflect on that reading uh, where John the Baptist points people to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, This is a big thing. This is a big deal, and it's a big role that Jesus fills. So let's take a moment just to reflect silently on that and to prepare ourselves to hear one of the prophecies that points forward to the arrival of Jesus. Uh, In a moment, I'll read from Isaiah 49. Um, But let's take just a moment to center ourselves in God's presence. Our sermon text today comes from Isaiah chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. Before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor. But I said, I have labored to no purpose. I have spent my strength in vain and for nothing. Yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. And now the Lord says, He who formed me in the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has been my strength. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says, the Redeemer and Holy One of Israel, to him who was despised and abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and rise up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks for this word which points us to you and which foreshadows a time when you would bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Help us, Lord, in these moments and in these days to reflect well on the meaning of that phrase, that you are the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of And help us to commit ourselves so fully to your cause that we might be your representatives in this world for that very message. We give you thanks for this time, and we pray that you would move in it. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to draw your attention to a star of the sky. The star's name is Beetlejuice. It has nothing to do with the movie from the 80s, I think. It got its name later and uh, is spelled differently. It has nothing to do with that. We're thinking about the star in the sky named 
Betelgeuse. It is one of the stars in the constellation Orion. Um, so when you, if you know Orion's belt, it's kind of up from there, maybe in the shoulder area, I think, of Orion. I don't know. I, I don't always see the constellations very well in my imagination. But it's right about there, um, as you see in the picture. Betelgeuse is a red supergiant. It's a huge... Um, if Betelgeuse were at the center of our solar system, where our sun is... This is how big Betelgeuse is. If it were where our sun is, it would be so big that it would encompass the orbits of Mercury and Venus and Earth and Mars and maybe even Jupiter. All of that would be star. It's that big of a sun. It's huge. It is um, historically the 10th most bright star in the sky that we can see from here. After, of course, our sun and then some others that make, some, make the top 10 list, it, it's number 10 in terms of the brightest stars in our sky. However, an interesting thing happened last month. Astronomers were watching the sky, because that's what astronomers do, and they noticed that Betelgeuse began dimming irregularly, getting a lot darker. Now, it kind of fluctuates. Betelgeuse is one of these stars that gets brighter and, and dimmer over the course of time, but it got really, really dim. In fact, it's, it continues to be dim. It has dropped from number 10 in the brightest stars in the sky all the way down to number 23. It has dropped significantly in the past couple of months in terms of its brightness. And astronomers are thinking that perhaps... This is a sign that Betelgeuse is toward the end of its life, that it is maybe about to go supernova, which would be really cool to see. Because if it goes supernova, then it will collapse in on itself and then explode out in a huge burst of light. And one source that I read says that um, if it does go supernova, it will shine as bright as the moon shines for a period of time in our night sky, which would be kind of amazing to see. Now, don't hold your breath, because it's not going to happen anytime soon, probably. Astronomers say that it might go supernova in the next 100,000 years. So, this is the prelude of things to come, but by the year 102,020, maybe it will have gone supernova. Don't hold your breath. Something to look forward to. Yes. Now, here's another interesting thing about Betelgeuse and other stars, of course, um, it's very far away from us, right? Betelgeuse is about 700 light years away from us, which means that this dimming event that took place last month actually took place around the year 1320. It's just now that the light has caught up to us because it's that far away. We're watching history unfold as we watch this star go through its life cycle. So finally does go supernova, we will have already missed it by 700 years. Maybe it's already happened and we don't know. We'll have to wait till 2720 to see if it goes supernova right now. It's just that big of a universe that we live in. There's something that's really beyond comprehension when we start talking about how big the universe is and how far these distances are and how, how large that one particular star is and how many bajillions of stars there are and galaxies in the universe. It's just beyond our comprehension. 
But here's one last idea to think about. In terms of Betelgeuse, how much of Betelgeuse's light do we actually get to see? A really small percentage of it, right? Really tiny pinprick of light. Betelgeuse is this star, like all stars, that emit light in all sorts of directions. Every direction it, it's emitting. But we only get to see one tiny dot of that light. How much more light is being spread all through the whole universe? So that if you believe in other life forms on other planets, who knows? Uh, maybe somebody else is watching Betelgeuse at the same time. Tara says, why not? What? I don't know. That's another question for another time. Uh, don't worry about that. Um, that's okay. We, we only see just a little bit of Betelgeuse's light. In fact, we only see a little bit of our own sun's light, about that much, a quarter's worth of light. It's this enormous ball of fire, and it's spreading light and warmth and energy all over the place, and we only get to see a bit of it at a time. It's amazing how much light there is out there. Now, what does all of this have to do, or what does any of this have to do, with Isaiah 49. The concept of light is important in Isaiah 49 because this is one of the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah. And in this passage, the Messiah is said to be the light for the Gentiles. There's that, there's that connection, the, the word light. Set the stage for Isaiah 49 a little bit. It is the second of four servant songs. The second half of Isaiah has four of these songs, poems really, that are about or, or spoken by this idealized servant. Someone that Isaiah saw coming in his future that would make all things right. Uh, the ancient Jews would eventually adopt the term Messiah for this, for this individual, the one who would come to set the world right and bring God's justice and God's salvation to the people of God uh, and would end all of the wrongdoings that are going on in the world. This was an important message to hear because their world was full of hardship and trouble. They were at various points in, in time in exile in different lands, and uh, they needed to have this hope that someday someone would come to bring them home and to this person would reveal God's salvation to all humanity. Now, that's the amazing thing about this vision that Isaiah has. It's a, it's a message of salvation for all people, not just for the Israelites. And this really should not be surprising to the Israelites because from the very beginning, God's eye has been on all of the nations. All the way back in Genesis 12, where God calls Abram, later named Abraham, to, to leave his father's home and go to the place where he would show him, uh, God blesses Abram and says that he would make him the father of many nations, even though at that point he had no children at all. And through Abraham, all nations would be blessed. From that very beginning moment, God's desire has been to bless all people groups. God's desire has always been to bring all people to himself. Now Isaiah says that God has known this servant since the beginning of time, since before, well before his birth. And this servant will complete God's mission on earth. That's the role of this Messiah, this coming servant. 
and the servant is ready for action, primed and ready to be used. Um, Isaiah uses the language of a, a sharpened sword that's ready for action and a polished arrow that's in the quiver, ready to be pulled out and, and used right away. When, whenever the moment is called for, the servant is ready to be put into action, but not into violent action like a sword and a, an arrow might suggest. It's not about bringing destruction to people. It's about uh, the servant's job is to bring the word of God. His weapon will be his mouth. His mouth is like this sharpened sword. The, the word that the servant will bring is the, the weapon that will not kill, but will bring life to those who hear it. And the scope of this servant's work is surprisingly broad. The servant of the Lord will bring salvation to the whole world. Some people will despise him, but his mission is to transform people. Even powerful people like kings and queens and princes and princesses so that they honor him and participate in God's life-giving message of salvation. Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophetic hope. Jesus is the servant that Isaiah hoped to see. Jesus is the one who brings salvation to the whole world, whose words are his weapons that bring life, the one who is the light to the Gentiles. The New Testament picks up on this tradition of Isaiah, of Jesus being the word of God, who brings life and light to all who hear him. Uh, In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John's Gospel begins that way. In Him was light, and that in Him was life, and that life was the light for all people. Jesus Himself later said that He is the light of the world. When a righteous man named Simeon met the newborn Jesus in Luke's Gospel, um, Simeon held the, the baby Jesus and exclaimed, My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. As Lewis read for us this morning, when John the Baptist saw Jesus approaching, As Jesus was about to begin his ministry, John exclaimed, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The the most famous Bible verse of them all, John 3.16, famously begins, For God so loved the world. And the very next verse says that God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God's message has always been a universal message. The scope of his salvation has always been extremely broad. He wants all people to come to him. God does not desire that any of his people should be lost. Uh, Jesus told the story of a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and one of them wandered away. And not satisfied with just having 99, the shepherd left the 99 and pursued the one that had wandered off and brought it home. Uh, At another point, Jesus said, I have sheep in another... other sheep that are not part of this sheep pen. I have other sheep that are not part of this pen meaning Israel, I have people in other people groups and I must bring them also. Jesus has always wanted to bring all people to himself. 
Jesus is the, the primary actor in this work of salvation. And here's where we get a little tripped up, because sometimes we reduce Jesus to an object of belief. That we have to believe that Jesus is Lord, and somehow we create our own salvation. Or, or we find our way back to God, or we finally admit that Jesus is Lord of all. Uh, as if we are the, the subject and Jesus is the object. But there's a, there's a phrase, kind of a catchy phrase, that we in the Church of God have been floating for a few years now, that says, Jesus is the subject. And I will go with that phrase to this point to say that Jesus is the actor. Jesus is the subject of the sentence. He is the one that makes the action happen. He is the one that brings about our salvation. The work of salvation does not depend entirely on our choice. Of course, our personal belief in Jesus is important, but it is only a response to the salvation that Jesus brings to us. The work of salvation begins with Jesus, the servant of the Lord, who brings salvation not just to individuals, but even to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus is like a star. Jesus is like Betelgeuse. A star that shines in all sorts of directions all the time. Jesus is the source of the light of salvation. And just like Betelgeuse or any other star, Jesus shines light everywhere so that all people and all nations might see him clearly. We, as individuals, are called to see the light of Christ, to follow that light and to allow ourselves to be transformed by that light, we are called to draw so close to that source of light, like our moon is close to our sun, so that the light might reflect off of us, so that other people might be able to see that light too. But we are not called to own or control the light of Christ. It's too much responsibility for us. We can't manage that. And that's not our job. We are not in charge of God's salvation. It is God's work to save, and God's desires to save everyone. Our responsibility is to respond favorably to the light of salvation when it shines on us, and then to reflect that light to all other people. Jesus summarized this uh, by highlighting two great commandments. Someone asked him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Uh, What's a good life look like? And Jesus summarized it with those two great commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's receiving the light of salvation. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's reflecting that light to other people. We receive God's love, we receive uh, the light of Christ, and we choose to follow that light, and we draw close to that source of light. We call all of that work discipleship. We grow as followers of Jesus. We grow in our spiritual lives. And then the second half of it, we reflect that light to others. We share the love of Christ with others. We call this outreach or mission or service, or there are lots of terms for it. There's an internal work that takes place and an, and an external reflecting work that takes place. And in our congregation here at Mount Haley, we summarize those two works with our mission statement or our vision as a church. We will intentionally grow as disciples of Jesus 
and as servants in our community for the sake of the kingdom of God. So I'd like you to consider those two purposes in your own life. How much of your life is illuminated by the light of Christ? How close are you to the source of light? Isaiah says that the servant of the Lord was despised and abhorred by the nation. Do you have any anger in your heart toward Jesus? If so, that's all right. Jesus wants to receive that and to shine light on it and to heal that anger or that pain, whatever it might be. Do you have any shields or guards that are up in your life that you have put there to hide yourself from Jesus in one way or another? What might happen in your life if you turned toward the light and bowed down in humility before Jesus and received the gift of abundant life that he wants to give? That's all in that first category of loving God, the first commandment, the receiving of the light. Now, What about that second act, reflecting the light, that work of service or mission or or outreach? How well are you reflecting the light of Christ to other people? To your family members, to your neighbors, co-workers, classmates, people that you talk to online, even strangers? Is there anyone in your life from whom you have withheld the light of Jesus, the love of Christ? Remember, God's mission is to shine light on all people. So how might you participate in the mission of God by reflecting light to someone in your world? How might you do that even this week to reflect the light of Christ to someone in a way that might make a a transformative difference in their lives? How could you point someone to Christ? How could you reflect the light of Christ to someone? Like our moon reflects the sun's light to us. Here's one more thing about Betelgeuse. It may have planets and moons of its own, like our sun has planets and moons and things, but we don't see them. We can't see them. They're too far away. We can see our moon because it's pretty close to us, And it reflects the light of the sun to us because it's pretty close to our sun. You can't do any meaningful reflecting of light unless you are, number one, close to the source of light, and number two, close to someone who can see it reflecting off of you. So draw close to Jesus and draw close to your neighbors. And in this way, we will participate in God's grand, broad, incomprehensibly big mission. So I invite you this week, as you find yourself in these hours of of, uh, darkness that are still pretty long, because we're still in the middle, you might have noticed, still gets dark pretty early. When it gets dark and it's a clear night and you find yourself outside, take a look at the moon and the stars. And consider them a little differently this week. Think about how far away they are, how big the universe is. Ponder your place in this universe and meditate on the the brightness of God's love that is expressed in Jesus Christ. Love for you and love for all of creation. 
even maybe for people who are looking at those same stars from a different location. On this world or on any other world. Christ is Lord of it all. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord, we give you thanks that you are Lord of all creation. And that you have seen fit to put us on this planet so that we might live and move and have our being in you. And learn how to do that more and more every day. I pray that, uh, that your light would shine into each of our lives. That we would not hide any part of our lives from you, but that we would allow your healing grace and your love to eradicate all that is impure in us so that we might be whole and holy and set apart for your purposes. And I, and I pray that you would shine off of us, that you would shine through us, reflect your love through us this week to each other and to those whom we meet, those whom we know, those in whom there may, may still be some darkness. Help us to bring light to this world and to point people always to the source of light, which is you. We give you thanks for your love for us and for Isaiah's vision of how that love would be fulfilled, which we see now clearly fulfilled in Jesus our Savior. And it's in his name that we pray all of these things.